You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. It is a thrill and honor to welcome Paul to the show. As the CRM data and analytics lead for DDB in North America, Paul brings the science to creative science. He is focused on making his clients' programs more effective, more engaging, and more efficient, delivering more customers more often at a higher ROI. It is like everyone's dream here. For more than 20 years, Paul has dedicated himself to following the customer on their journey along the path to purchase and lifelong brand loyalty. This passion has led to a profound expertise, which has helped him forge a leadership standing in the industry. Paul brings integrated CRM and digital experience to the table. He has held senior agency positions in client services and strategy, and with a focus on customer engagement and an impressive arsenal of analytics and social CRM know-how, he works across business categories and marketing channels. In addition, Paul teaches data or data and analytics at the DeGroot School of Business as part of their MBA faculty. Paul, thank you for being here. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So are you more of a data or a data guy? What do you say? Potato, potato? Probably I'm more of a data guy. Okay. So uh, give us kind of a bit of a background. You've also taught at other schools as well. Why don't we give them a shout out just to give them some love? Where else have you kind of professed, as they say? So I started teaching 19 years ago at Schulich. And at the time, knowing my career path and where I've gone, I was more of a generalist in the whole marketing equation. I'd done some TV. I did a lot of promotion. At the time, digital wasn't even a thing, really. So it was, you know, outdoor and print and direct mail and all of the things that went into it. And I started teaching a course at the Schulich School of Business in their MBA program on marketing communications. And in doing that, I just developed this incredible passion for teaching. And as I moved into the data realm, I actually uh, started teaching at McMaster, which is my uh, alma mater, the DeGroote School of Business. And I managed to get into teaching things that were more kind of in line with my, not only my skills, but my passion and what I wanted to do, which is data and analytics, which I teach in the executive MBA and the normal MBA. And most recently, I've started teaching a course called Customer Value Creation, which is the best course I've ever taught. And I love it. And it's brand new. And I got to create it from scratch. And it was uh, the most incredible experience ever. I am a little bit of a tortured academic because I'm torn between I love doing my day job, but I love the moonlighting I do as well. Yeah. And do you ever have an experience at work where you're like, this is perfect for my class? (laughs) All the time. And apparently I bring the best guest speakers ever because I'm constantly bringing like, a, you know, the CMO of McDonald's, for instance, comes in and speaks in my classes, Samsung, all of my clients, I bring in the CMOs. Apparently that's pretty cool for my, especially when you think about class size, which is usually about 25 to 30, which is an amazing experience for them to be able to spend a few hours with someone who um, is in that position. Amazing. So give me a bit of uh, background here for those, you know, the folks that are on the listening to the show that do not know about DDB. What does DDB stand for? Maybe give them a brief history of that and, and who are they today? So really interesting is, and I'll talk about Track in a minute, which I actually run Track DDB, yeah. which is the CRM data Linux arm. But DDB, and if you've ever watched Mad Men, what you'll find is that Draper often refers to a guy named Bill Burnback. Bill Burnback did those very first Volkswagen ads, the one that had the little bugs in the middle of the screen, Bug meaning Volkswagen Beetle, not Ant or Fly. 
And literally, he did those. And Don Draper talks about him all the time. And he's the B in DDB. So it's Dane Doyle Bernbach. And he's the B in that equation. And DDB is a global advertising agency with about 11,000 people. Wow. And 16 years ago, they bought a company called Rap Collins. We spun off a number of our offices about seven years ago, and we call ourselves Track DDB. We have about 600 of those 11,000 globally, our team, but we are the fastest growing part of DDB because we're the data analytics guys. And that seems to be kind of what's in demand right now and what is being asked for a lot. So we've been operating in Canada a little bit on our own and recently with some changes in our management. We've now expanded. We've opened offices in New York and Chicago. We're acting a lot more in tandem with DDB. So they're a mass agency doing branding, television commercials. We're the data analytics CRM arm, and we're just merging together a lot more because the future belongs to creative science, I call it, but data and creativity combined. Amazing. As far as like the structure of DDB, do you have like cousins or nephews? Like what else is DDB connected to in kind of the world of marketing and PR? Well, so DDB is a part of Omnicom. Okay, so that would be your father, your mother, your whatever yeah. you want to call. Okay, which includes two main aspects of it. There is a large portion which is media. So there's Omnicom Media Group, which is you know there's all kinds of different PhD and OMD and all these media companies is a large part. There's also this OPMG Omnicom Precision Marketing Group, which has a number of different agencies that do things like personalization at scale, technology. We have our own pretty incredible thing called Omni, which is a third-party database where we can build audiences and drive media and do those things. Then there's the more creative side, which is TBWA, BBDO, and DDB, which are the kind of advertising agency aspect of it. Amazing. Paul, I got asked this question, and, and I've spent many months discovering, because working in PR, we often get told, hey, you should do some ad buys. You should buy some advertorial. And we get sent a media kit, and it's usually for TV and radio. And I'll often say, well, how do you get these numbers for TV and radio? And so finally, no one really had a, a, an answer. No one really knew, especially in sales. So finally, I tracked down, because I looked in the bottom right-hand corner, and it says the data comes from this source. So I talked to someone at that source, and they said, well, the source comes from these little booklets that we mail to people across Canada, and they physically, with a pencil or pen, fill out a little book, do this, and they tell us about their radio and TV habits. So one of my goals in life, by the way, is if anyone knows someone who is one of those book volunteers, if your grandma or your aunt or someone you know is one, I'd love to see a picture of one because that organization did not, would not send me one because I want to see that. And so that's the data where it comes from. But in your role, Paul, what I want to know is programmatic advertising. We hear that term all the time, programmatic. And using me as a case sample, I'm on a MacBook Pro here and I went to three websites this morning. You know, your organization, those buying desks, how do they get the info from my laptop to the buying desk so that your company can buy badass data. Just before I do that, I just want to, because you mentioned PR, I really failed in mentioning the fact that we do, of course, have a huge PR component to Omnicom. Companies like Fleischmann, Hilliard, Ketchum, there are an incredible group of people, and we work very closely. We share accounts with Fleischmann is in my building downstairs, and we share a lot of business with them. So, Do you guys prank each other, or is it kind of like Vance Refrigeration? You kind of operate separately. Well, so I think pranking is probably, because we do operate separately per se, but I think pranking is a good way of describing it. I am often found to be roaming their floor, leaving things on their desks and that kind of thing. And of course, I learned all that from Frank Palmer, who's taught me how to prank because he is the world's most incredible prankster. Yes. 
Sorry, so you're back onto the media. So there's two ways that kind of traditional television has been measured in the past. Yes. One is, you know, the box top set that Nielsen sets yep. on top, where they're actually watching people look at your television, what they're watching and what's on. The second way is the survey method where you're actually filling out and ticking off boxes and saying what you want. I have to tell you that for the most part, that's really the old days because today with cable delivery of almost all television, we don't need that anymore because we know exactly when the TV's on in any particular house and exactly what show it's on through the carriers and providers, people like Rogers and Bell and TELUS and And, and they Shop. feed you that data. They would feed that data. The media company who's buying on their television shows would then be able to get that data and use that data to understand who's watching. There's a whole nother aspect, which is the idea of how this connects in a unified ID through what's happening now. So you think of Netflix or Amazon Prime or Internet period TV or YouTube. I mean, this is such an interesting topic because we can talk in a second about what's going to happen in about eight months when the cookie-less world comes into play and things are going to be very different for us when third-party cookies get taken off of Google. But right now, like all of that information is aggregated in such a way that we can understand viewing habits in particular households. So there are companies in the US, for instance, Comcast, etc., who can actually sell television advertising by household meaning they know that there's kids in that household, the next door neighbor doesn't have them, that household can get a television commercial. And that's how exact that data can get. Very similar to what YouTube can do or Google can do in providing that exact same specific information on exactly who's watching their behavior over time and therefore creating a model that says, we know there's kids in that household or we know this person watching this particular you know, YouTube video is going to be in a certain state. And you all know because... I do this with my students all the time. I'll tell them to go Google something. I'll tell them to talk about it in front of Alexa or Siri. And then I'll rejoin the next day and say, okay, so how many of you got average? So we'll do pick something crazy like lawn furniture for the beach. And then all of a sudden people are going, oh my God, Paul, last night I got on, you know, I'm playing my game on, I'm a Sudoku guy. Probably not strange that I'm a data guy who likes Sudoku. I'm a math guy, but you know, all of a sudden this advertisement comes up for lawn furniture in my space. That kind of data is crazy incredible. And that has led to what has been, you know, whether we want to call it programmatic or whether we just want to call it audience building or triggered communication, which is probably really, because most of it is retargeted communication based on what's happened. Of course, now we have in 2022, we have Google no longer allowing us to place third-party cookies, which is going to change the landscape totally, which is why now there's a mad rush for first-party data. Because as an advertiser, I'm still going to have all the opportunities I used to have as long as I pay Google the money, right? Because Google will control all of their data and no longer can I, as a third-party company, be placing those cookies and doing that work and collecting that data. It's really going to all rest now with Google. I personally think it's amazing the same way I think GDPR and, and what California is doing for legislation is amazing. The more controls we have over privacy, the better. And the more control consumers have with their data, the better for a person like me who really wants to engage and build a relationship and not just spam people. So personally, I'm thrilled about it. So I'm on my computer, went to three websites this morning. 
and I'm going to talk about the Alexa thing after, but I went to three websites. And I think I'm just speaking from other agencies and other people maybe that are listening right now. We get pitched programmatic all the time because I get Google search, I get Facebook ads, I get Instagram ads, but they always say, man, I can get you exactly the right person, the right time, the right place, everything. Whenever I've asked, well, how do you have that data? How do you get that information? No one's ever been able to explain it, how it goes from my computer and my wife's computer and let's just say my 14-year-old son's computer and how to distinguish between the three of them because is it Chrome giving that information away? Is it Shaw Internet giving it away? Is it Telus giving it? Who is passing that information on to these sellers who come pitch us at our office with Tim Hortons donuts? Interesting. The answer is yes because pretty much every app you work on, if you're going, all of those things are available to be aggregated. As companies now, we drop cookies onto people so that we can see what they're doing and what their behavior is and what they're doing on our site. And all of that information then gets bought and aggregated by companies that specifically do that. And then that information is then what builds this database of aligned IDs, because it really is all about aligning identification. So We have a tool called Omni, for instance. We buy probably 150 different data sets that we put into Omni. We track 1.2 billion devices in the United States of America across 200 and something million people. And what the technology does is it basically machine learning or AI recognizes these people are the same connection. And all of a sudden your phone, your Alexa, your computer, your tablet, your smart TV, your fridge, your uh, GPS in your car, like all these things can be connected and they can understand. And, And it is really the wild west. And I don't know, you know, interesting for anybody listening. I think if you really want to understand some of this stuff, what you need to do is you need to Google Tim Berners Lee, who is the inventor of the internet, what he is doing now. Because now he has said, this has got crazy. This is not what I built it for. This is not what it should be. And he has a new company. And I'm just struggling here to remember what Tim Berners-Lee's new company is. But he's built a new company that basically is building data pockets Mm -hmm. so that people have more control over their own data. And the idea is then you can release or not release to whoever you want. So based on all your devices, you would have an app that connects into this. It would control and make sure none of your data is shared, but ask you. So would you like to share that data, for instance, with your telecom company? Again, going back to me as an example, I just want to bring it like right into the weeds. So I'm on my computer, I'm at home, I'm on Shaw. Is Shaw the one who sells it to those desks? Like the desks that these programmatic people buy? Because they're always just like, I buy from these desks. And the desks get the data. Is it someone at TELUS, at a TELUS office in Vancouver, who's like, I just got information on Darian Kovacs at this IP, and here, do you want to buy this for 0.2 cents amongst many other people? I'm so, just curious about that transaction. So I will admit to the fact, I don't know for sure. Okay, okay, what I want to know is, yeah. I want to track down it's- who knows that information, because it's like, I know how mangoes are imported into Canada. I watched this like YouTube documentary about yeah. mango importing, and then it's processed here, it's brought in. But like we get sold this and we get told and our clients are like, I was told to do programmatic and I think programmatic is the thing, but no one can explain the process of it. Well, I think there is a fear that if that information is disclosed on a wider scale, that it in fact would be something that would people would just go, what do you mean? And, you know, we see how, you know, if you go back to the Cambridge Analytica and Facebook and all of these things that have happened over time, I mean, 
you know, and I'm sure you've heard the quote, it was at South by Southwest now, probably five or six years ago, that Facebook had someone from Facebook, I believe, who said, you know, Visa can predict divorce to a 92% accuracy two years in advance. So two years in advance, like you don't know you're getting divorced two years in advance. So they actually know better. And of course, Facebook, the whole idea of that comment when it was made was that's nothing. Facebook could do that way better and way more accurately. So I don't know exactly about the transaction. I know I've had the same question. Every media person that I know, I've gone, okay, so do you buy that from these people? Like, how does that work? So I don't actually know. Sorry. So you and I, I think, Paul, especially you being a professor and teaching this, you know, your Padawans, right? You're like a Jedi master of data. We should track that down because that, that is the source, yeah. right? It's almost like you are teaching people how to make Guinness beer, let's just say, but you've yet to go to Ireland to go to the source of the brewery, like the it's, waterfall. It's true. So I will admit, though, I am, for the most part, a first-party data guy, right? Like most of the work I do is actually managing, you know, we work with McDonald's, for instance, and and we help McDonald's with people who are engaged with them and and using their offers and on the app or Samsung. I got the McDonald's app. I got it, man. I finally caved last week because I was like, is there anything good? Like my kids, I got four kids. So I'm like, I'm going through McDonald's. Do I get some deals? No great deals yet. I'm waiting for some good deal and it'll keep me engaged. But eventually I think it'll give me three months and I'll probably delete it off my phone. But I'm oh. waiting for the app to be awesome. They're fantastic deals. What do you mean? $2 big But Macs? I'm like, my kids, <laughs> no, but it's my kids, man. I want just chicken uh, nugget deals and like smoothie deals. That's all I buy there. So I think if they could figure out that I'm just a chicken nugget smoothie guy and a breakfast sandwich, I love the breakfast sandwiches. They'll do something for me, but I somehow have to let them know that that's who I am. Yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's interesting 
because there's this huge balancing act going on amongst, you know, most of our clients and most people. Because McDonald's probably could say, we know you so well that we can just give you the offers and the things you want. On the other hand, you know, the feeling of limiting you and your experience and being, you know, that intrusive into your life to model that out to that degree is also something that maybe, you know, that McDonald's, I know they don't want to. I mean, McDonald's, if you have your app open, could potentially know every time you're walking into a Tim Hortons and flash you a free coffee just to get you out and to their door. They don't because that would be, you know, in their mind, that would be an abuse of the data that they have and the relationship that they have with their customers. So it's always the balancing act. In 2021, I think what's happening in camps, like much in the States, there's red and blue, right? And there's this divide. I feel like in humans today and those at MABR, especially in marketing, advertising, like there's these two camps that are like privacy is really important, just keep the ads generic. But then there's another camp that's like, man, I'll tell you everything. I'm on Facebook. You know that I'm married. You know this. I'm like, I like the whole Tom Cruise minority report, scan my eyes, give me an ad that's right for me because then I don't get sent a bunch of garbage ads that are useless to me. And I think, you know, which leads totally to the area of my personal research and teaching and what I do, which is customer value creation and the whole idea of customer value. So thank you for that setup. I really appreciate it. Because honestly, all people will say to you, if you have data on me and you use it to my benefit, Yes. Then I'm okay with it. You know, I, I created a model for a Canadian financial institution a few years ago that could predict credit card defection. It would tell us that someone was going to leave the credit card, cancel their credit card in the next four to six months. And with that, we understood what the reason was. So someone carrying a high balance would defect to a credit card with a lower interest rate. And someone who wanted travel points and all of a sudden was maybe in the maturity level of their life, decided travel points was what they wanted, would leave for a travel points credit card. And, you know, we went to the bank to try to get it and they wouldn't do it. They would not use the data to go specifically to someone and say, hey, and they would never say it like this. But, you know, we know that you're going to cancel our credit card in the next six months and go to a low interest one. Why don't we just give you a low interest one now? And my whole argument was nobody's going to complain. Not one person is going to say to you, huh, I didn't know you knew that I was carrying a balance and that I was paying 23%. I didn't know that you knew that. No one's going to say that. And who is going to complain if your bank comes to you and says, instead, we want you to pay 9.8? Yeah. And unless you're Ron Swanson and you've, you know, <laughs> you've figured out a way to be off the grid, right? And I think we, we all live and we know we live in glass houses. Like Facebook has never been free. We paid for it with our data. And I think everyone understands when they're using the data to sell it to advertisers on their platform. I think where it became too much was when they were selling it people to model to win elections. Like, I think it just became something too much, but just on the value. So I think the key is that you want a fair and righteous value exchange. So for instance, if I'm a loyal McDonald's customer, I shouldn't use McDonald's to go mad at me. But if I'm a loyal customer of yours and I'm always going to buy your product no matter what, you shouldn't say, well, we don't need to give Paul any value. So therefore, we'll give all the value to someone we don't have. You know, the whole argument we have over why do brand new customers of almost everything we have get a better deal than me? You know, I have been loyal to my cable company for over 30 years. And literally in that time have paid upwards of over $100,000 in buying their services over that course in time. And you know what? I get nothing. 
If I phone up, I wait in the same lineup as anybody else does. If I want to add a new service, like I don't get the best price. Someone else gets the best price. So, you know, we really need to kind of focus on, on ensuring that we match value to what's received to value delivered, which is why loyalty programs can be so important and so so good because at the end of the day, we know that if I spend $10,000 a year on something and I get a percentage of that back, that's benefiting me to the degree that I spend. Yeah. Yeah. I find loyalty stuff fascinating psychologically, right? Like Starbucks, their stars and, you know, GRG, you know, has point systems. So you get little wins and it like different levels. You need the platinum level, the gold level. Like it's just fascinating to see what people have done to keep us hooked. Yep. So on that note, I think the most important measure any company can give is customer lifetime value. I think it is the most important thing that they need to strive to figure out and measure. Because if they can, then they can go, Paul has a high customer lifetime value. Yeah. Fred, not so much. So Paul should be rewarded and nurtured, or we should figure out a way to make Fred the same value as Paul. Yeah. You know what I want? What I want from McDonald's, Paul? I want them to tell me when I hit 100 chicken nuggets, like Peloton, I hit 50 runs yesterday. And they gave me a trophy thing. I don't want a trophy for me. I, you know, sure, a trophy would be hilarious. Maybe a fun video for my kids. But when I hit 100 chicken nuggets, they'll give me a free little box of four. Give me something. And then it's also the hilarity of like, maybe they don't want me to know that I ate 100 chicken nuggets. Right? Yeah. But, you know, maybe that's something. But I think also, like, we're going to keep buying chicken nuggets. But it's like, if something else comes up, but I'm like, no, I got to get to 100. I'm almost there. They're going to keep me stuck on them. There are great things coming from McDonald's because you see that they're doing that now with French fries and they're doing that now with coffee uh, across Canada, where if you buy seven, you get one free. Yep. So they're starting yeah. to reward that. Yeah. On the other hand, I know that one of the things we don't want to do is send someone saying, congratulations, you've eaten this many Big Macs this year, because a lot of people don't want to know that. <laughs> That's I not love necessarily a positive. Though, I'll get like a 20 pack for my kids and I'll always get a couple of like, mm, it's so good, right? The nuggets are good, man. Okay. So Paul, what I really want to know is coming up, like what's something we got to keep our fingers on? Like the stuff with cookies, like there's so much going on in the world of data, but I'm just thinking what's one takeaway for those in marketing, those in agency life that they got to really keep their finger on the pulse for? I think if you're on our side of the business, on the agency side of the business, your key has to be, so there is no such thing. I don't believe, you know, you hear the new agency model and all of this talk about that. I think the reality is that there is room for all kinds of different models and different support and different people. And I don't think any of that has gone away. I think, you know, being agile and knowing, for instance, the days of a purely digital agency calling themselves a digital agency are really gone. Because everything is digital, right? There's nothing that's not digital anymore. That being said, there are still room for all kinds of experts. And I think the key is that what you need to be is you need to be incredibly agile. You need to understand your model. And just to give you an example, 10 years ago, you know, I had tech teams that were almost 50% of what we had. So developers, people running Salesforce or Adobe, almost half the employees in the companies I worked for were that kind of folks. Now it's 15% because the technology has become simpler. The need now is more on the data science side. And incredibly enough, now what I'm finding is we're doing this full circle and we're saying now that we've mastered how to use technology to reach people one-to-one, now that we figured out how to use data to make sure everything is relevant and adds value, now what we need is incredible ideas, creative and strategy about delivering that on a regular basis. We need translators and navigators. 
Exactly. So if you think about, you know, the work that my creative team, because I have the most amazing creative team in the industry, who wouldn't say that? And why I say that is because they understand data, personalization, relevance at scale, which is exactly what we strive to deliver for our clients. And what's interesting is, you know, for a while there, it went into this, you know, production of emails and app notifications and web pages. And now what it's come to is this incredible, how do we create this personalization or relevance at scale across channels? How do we use data and segmentation to build even just the idea of content at scale or assets? You know, we've got 5 million people in your database. You're creating a great model that says every one of them can get a unique and personalized experience. How do you create the assets and the things that drive that without having to create, you know, 4 million different creative executions? And I think the future is going to be how we use data to deliver that, especially with privacy legislation, third-party cookies, all the amazing stuff, which I think is fantastic. And everyone freaks out when I say this because I'm probably the only true data guy who says, get rid of this Wild West and let's get control. Because I would rather build a real relationship with 100,000 customers than building some spammy, false junk with 4 million. And just a quick Yes or no, or you can say like, you don't want to answer this. Alexa, Google Home, Siri, are they listening and providing that data to advertisers? Uh, So they listen to the first number of seconds of every time you talk. And if it isn't, hey, Google or Alexa, then they turn off is what we're told by the uh, companies who do this. But there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that if you're standing beside your Alexa, you know, the best CEO of a very prominent Canadian media company was in one of my classes and was asked this question. And what he said to us was, my uh, voice activation in Siri is not on, my location management is not on my phones, I have no Alexa's echoes or anything else in my house, I will not have any of that. My smart TVs are turned off and it's like, okay, you're the media guy. And what you're saying is that you're doing this. So yes, I think they're listening to everything. I think right now my beautiful Samsung device is somehow tracking me and figuring out what I'm saying. That is incredible. Okay. One thing I want to ask, one of the things I love uh, here in Fort Langley, I go to the, we have a PO box, I go there and direct mail. And I wonder if maybe you are the reason because I would get these amazing McDonald's direct mail pieces and that would inspire because it's a beautiful picture, full color, and it'd be like two meals for $6.99. I'm like, what? And then I would keep that coupon book in my office here. I put it on the bulletin board. I take it home. Tell me about direct mail and its relation to this whole world of data. I think as marketers, we screw up everything we touch right? Because what happens is direct mail, it's amazing. It's such a fantastic tool. We can deliver to people's homes. What do we do? We spam the crap out of everybody until everyone's so frustrated that they start throwing everything in the garbage. And now we hardly have any. Same thing we've done with email. Email is the most incredible communication tool ever created, but we've abused it. Therefore, its power has become less. Direct mail, as email will, is making an incredible comeback, I believe. The difference is, and I said this at a Canada Post all-company meeting a couple of years ago, I said the difference is, you know, I remember working on a credit card company maybe 15 years ago. We would send out 45 to 50 million direct mail pieces a year in Canada. That's for a household on average. Now, because of data and because of targeting and because of understanding where people are, you can actually send a million to two million a year and get the same response rates. Yeah, because you can rent postal codes and the data you get from smart mail. 
Yeah, exactly. So smart mail, or even if you start to think about, you know, the detail you can get from a shopper's voice survey from Canada Post, where you can actually target people's homes. And what that allows is a much more incredible value that you can put into the direct mail. So instead of trying to get, you know, 45 million postcards out, we can provide some real value, a real engaging piece, a real creative piece, you know, at 5 million a year that will actually convert more than those 45 ever did. And I think it's really powerful. It's also, you know, if you think of today in the world of, of COVID, the pandemic, these unprecedented times, the home is now where people are and being able to engage people in their homes in a high value quality way is that much more powerful as well. And then we also have a brand new generation. So realizing that people in their early 20s today, they don't even know what direct mail is. So when they get one, it's crazy good. I mean, my I have four kids as well. And, you know, I go from 25 to 17. My older kids, the ones that are in their 20s, like when they get a piece of really relevant, high quality direct mail, they're really interested because they didn't spend the last 50 some odd years, you know, going through and triaging, I call it. It's like on the app every morning when you go through yep. all your emails and you start to slide and delete. You know, we do the same thing with our direct mail. I walk to my super box, I get my pile of mail and I start to weed through to pick the ones I want. So awesome. I got to jump into what is your business or marketing book that you'd recommend? Oh, interesting. So on a totally professional level from a business standpoint, I am a Gladwell fanatic. His podcast revisionist history is my favorite thing in the world. I re-listen to them all the time. His books are always so insightful. He's so engaging. And then you start to think about, I'm a Cynic fan, because I think for any of us who aren't branding people, Cynic makes it simple and makes it make sense. So I love that. If you've never read Why We Buy by Paco Underhill, 20 years old, but still an incredibly powerful. Personally, uh, I'm more about self-improvement these days. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Covey is still one of my favorite. And I'm totally on the kick of trying to pull little nuggets away from things like the four-hour work week. I think Tim Ferriss is yep. the guy who wrote that. And then Shwarma's got the book, The 5 a.m. Club, which I just recently read. And I'm like, there's three things there that I can pick up and start to do in my life. You're never too old to uh, make changes and improve. It's amazing. Some good examples of some good uh, author mentors in your life. Mm -hmm. What is a newsletter or website you recommend for resources and inspiration? I'm a big fan of Forrester. Okay. I do follow, watch, and I think for someone in our field, Forrester has a ton of, and Gartner, the two are fantastic. Forbes is probably my favorite thing to just peruse and read when it comes to a website like that. Amazing. And a life hack you'd be willing to share. Wow. You know, besides the fact that I do my global seven o'clock phone calls without pants on um, <laughs> in this world of COVID. So I think as a guy who teaches, I mean, I have a full-time course load. Basically, I teach as much as a full-time professor does at the same time as running a business, at the same time as four kids. So there's lots going on. And I do believe that the most important thing that I do is every single night before I go to bed, I look at the next day and I prioritize everything and I don't get everything done, but I just start at the top. I never fail. Like I don't go check emails. I don't go do anything. I say, if that's number one, I just do number one. Number one this morning, for instance, was think about how I was going to engage with the podcast. And, you know, although I didn't necessarily create notes and had answers, I thought to myself, okay, what would I like to communicate? What would I like to say? I listened to some of your previous ones so that I can understand what that was. But I think it's really about prioritizing, saying no. 
So important. It's awesome. And as an agency guy, I don't know how to say no. So what I say is, I would love to get that done. Is June okay? Yeah. There you go. There you go. That's perfect. That's perfect. So yes, but. Yes, yeah, exactly. but. Exactly. Did you uh, dig into the archives? Did you go as far back as to when I interviewed very shortly Malcolm Gladwell? No, I haven't got there yet. I'm sorry. You can dig into the archives. I have a very short but sweet interview with Malcolm from years ago. So I just love listening to him talk because his view on the world is amazing. I love Yeah. 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 Canadian Marketing Hall of Fame winner along with Frank Palmer. He's a great author, podcaster, revisionist history. Amazing. They just, just uh, yesterday, a new episode came up, which was excellent. So, oh, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Bomber Mafia. So he's keeping that going. Fantastic. Amazing. Paul, thank you for being here. This was incredible. Like very rich, very enlightening, very inspiring. Thank you for even explaining the whole DDB world, the family of that world, and, and just kind of showing us and shedding some light on some of the data that's going on. And I think together, you and I, we should almost do a part two and get the source. I know you're more of a first party data, but find out all those buying desk people and get a buying desk guy on the show or girl. It feels like that's something Gladwell would do actually. So it feels like we should do that. Let's do it. We're on. Yeah, done. Thank you for being here. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. We'll see everyone next time on Marketing News Canada. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.